Today on My Climate Journey's startup series, we have Peter Light, CEO and co-founder of Lumen Energy. Lumen Energy's software helps commercial real estate portfolio managers to identify the correct clean energy mix for every building in their portfolio. Their auto PPA feature claims to be able to generate a power purchase agreement for a building via software. As Peter tells it, many commercial real estate companies today want to improve the emissions of their portfolio and know they need to do so in order for their buildings to remain competitive with future leases. But many have no idea where to start today, and they don't want to invest money in a building-by-building analysis. Peter and I have a great conversation about how the commercial real estate market works who is responsible for a building's energy usage and resultant emissions. And of note, this varies lease by lease and by type of tenant. And we also talk about what's motivating them to pursue clean energy projects in the first place. Peter has a long and illustrious background in clean energy, which we touch on as well. But before we start, I'm Cody Sims. I'm Yin Lu. And I'm Jason Jacobs, and welcome to My Climate Journey. This show is a growing body of knowledge focused on climate change and potential solutions. In this podcast, we traverse disciplines, industries, and opinions to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and all the ways people like you and I can help. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cody. Delighted to be here. Peter, as you and I were chatting just right before we hit record, I'm really excited to have you on here today because I feel like the entire space of commercial real estate when it comes to startups and go to market and how a startup cracks into selling into commercial real estate is an area that I personally need very demystified for me. I put it right up there with things completely outside of climate, like selling into health systems as like, man, like, founders who learn how to do that have really cracked something because just from the outside, it feels very hard. And I've never worked in commercial real estate. So part of it is just that that unfamiliarity on my part, but I'm biased to think is a big challenge. It is. It's a big challenge. It's a delightful challenge. I guess my orientation is I work back from like, where is the big climate problem? And Marrying where the big climate problem is, there are many of those. So there's, as I like to say, with climate, there's something here for everyone, which is awesome news for all of your listeners. Personally, I said, wow, there are all these buildings that are persistent. And you sort of look at the math and it's greenhouse gas emissions globally, roughly 17% from buildings and basically double that if you include embodied carbon. We don't address that today, but it's just, it is a big, big chunk of climate emissions and they're is going to be around in 2040 and 2050 for all these buildings. So looking at that, I really said, well, okay, big problem. And the great news is it's now profitable to decarbonize many of these buildings, but it's really complex to go figure out how first all the energy and all the economic side, and then also marrying that with meeting customers where they are in the commercial real estate space, which we can we could talk about. Yeah. And commercial real estate is this giant, like monolithic category. It's the biggest asset class in the world, I think. Right. And we're going to get into Lumen Energy and what you do and all that. But I think part of it, I presume as well, is starting with, okay, what's the subsector of commercial real estate? Is it retail building owners? Is it office building owners? Is it industrial facility building owners? Is it 
multi-tenant residential building owners, like each of those are going to have totally different motivations, incentive structures, things I would assume. Yes? Yes, and. (laughs) Yes, and. Both in motivations, but also in the solution set that makes sense. But I will say that what ties them together in commercial real estate is it's a highly financial industry. And this common logic of like, what is going to make a building more valuable and an enterprise more valuable, that fortunately distills to typically what is the internal rate of return of investment, the IRR, or in the industry speak, what is the net operating income increase? Those are common. Now, to answer those questions, you get into the dizzyingly complex world of on-site clean energy meets tariffs, meets cost policies, all these pieces. And our grand mission is just to abstract all of that away for people and give them an actionable pathway to something that they say, wow, this hits my return. This is great news for my CFO. We can now go actually take a big stride forward on our decarbonization journey and have it be profitable. And I also recognize you spend most of your day talking to people inside the industry who understand the complexities of how all these things work. And now you're talking to me who does not. So part of what we'll probably do here today is go up a level and just help unpack the broad sort of industry context for those of us who don't live in the commercial real estate world on a day-to-day basis, but then dive down into some of the specific solutions that you offer. And hopefully, listeners who are on varying degrees of familiarity with how the industry works will get something out of this conversation. Great. Perfect. Before we do that, let's start with you. And so you have been working in and around the energy space and to some extent in the building side of it in multiple capacities over your career. Why don't you walk us through that and how you got to deciding to start Lumen Energy in the first place? Well, I'll take you back a few chapters. I think we've all hopefully been fortunate to have great mentors somewhere along our career. People inspired us. And I came out of college and I had the great fortune of working in a place called the Rocky Mountain Institute. And it was founded by a person named Amory Lovins. He's a MacArthur Fellow and really sort of a energy and climate pioneer, deep OG, if you will, in that domain. And I got to learn alongside of him right out of school and say, wow, this like, as the world goes from the early 2000s, six and a half trending to nine or 10 billion people by mid-century, how are we going to give people an abundance and have people scale up the economic ladder and give them health and prosperity and also do that with, while we have to radically bend the curve on our carbon emissions. And that is a great challenge of our time. How do you decarbonize the electricity system, the transportation system, agriculture? And so I'd just say I fell in love. And that led me on a path to San Francisco. And I had a stint at a firm called Energy and Environmental Economics. And I learned all the electricity system and like the gory guts of just like, how do utilities work? How did we get here into the system we have? Which is a remarkable feat of engineering 100 years ago that we were able just to have electricity to every building. And it's like, we don't even think about it anymore. Peter, this was early 2000s. Is that right? Early 2000s. That's right. And personally, my own draw, I said, look, I want to cause breakthroughs in powering our world with clean energy. And at the time, I looked at things like wind and solar. And I was like, God, these are really expensive still. Like There has to be a technology breakthrough. At the time, just to go back, coal was 50% of US electricity power. So getting off of coal was just job number one. At that time, using natural gas looked to be a big decarbonization lever and being able to use it twice as efficiently was a huge one. So, and in a pathway to use other biofuels. 
at the time, was the goal reducing CO2 emissions or was the goal more about reducing particulate matter and smog and air pollution? Interesting. My own read of this kind of from a policy arc is that the real goal has been to reduce CO2 emissions and certainly local pollution smog. Sidebar, I think the policy strategy in the mid 2000s was it was a little bit easier to effectuate this sort of the change on reducing coal through the lever of non-CO2 emissions. That's my personal take on the sort of policy arc. But in any case, I just share with you to say that I had the great fortune of meeting a team very early at Bloom Energy. It was 2004. It was a group of NASA scientists at Moffett Field, and they were developing you know, kind of a magic box that made very clean and reliable electricity. And the aspiration was just to make this magic box and make it cheap everywhere. And I hope you can hear the naivete in my own sort of thinking on that. And it's sort of glossy eyed, like, wow, this can really change the world. And flash forward, it's a Bloom is a public company that's provided on-site clean energy to many of the Fortune 100. And so I went on this journey from science project in the lab to being part of the early commercialization team and sort of figuring out what is the path to market? How do you meet people where they are? How do big companies think about clean energy and that sort of clean tech 1.0 era? And these were companies that had lots of properties all over the country. First, there were the sort of pioneers like the Googles and the Apples of the world, but then later companies like Staples and Home Depot and Walmart that just have hundreds of addresses. And they would just say, here, here's my list of addresses, look at them all in a spreadsheet, which one should I do? And looking at buildings with their electricity use annually in a spreadsheet was kind of the state of the art at the time to answer the economic question of where this makes sense. And we'll come back to that question of what Lumen does today, because we found that the details are actually a lot more nuanced than that to really get to kind of investment grade underwriting of deploying billions of dollars of clean energy. But that was the state of the art and learned a ton about product management later led international market development and took the company to Japan with a joint venture with SoftBank. And in 2014, I personally looked around and said, I want to get the world to 100% renewable energy. I want to go work on that problem and dedicate my life to cracking that nut. And I stumbled into Google X, who turns out was working on many very early stage zero carbon technologies in the lab, things like flying wind turbines from Makani, if you have ever seen that, to floating solar panels, to non-lithium ion batteries that could get to very low cost. And I said, look, wow, if there are these technologies which are rapidly coming down the cost curve and have high technology potential, but are still unproven, then there's really a promising pathway to kind of cheat the valley of death, if you will, that I think happens or had happened, especially in clean tech 1.0 for hardware companies where making the first one or the first five, that is really hard. But scaling from the 10th to the 100th unit is super challenging because it can be very capital intensive. You know where the edges are. So that's really what led me to Google X. So sort of this idea of, hey, I've now worked in clean energy, both essentially as an analyst or as a market observer to some extent. And then I worked in a business that was actually helping to drive deployment of what I would call traditional clean energy, even though at the time it was still pretty new. And so it was this idea of like, hey, are there other things that can accelerate the transition even faster? Are there better mousetrap technologies, sort of new innovations that aren't getting deployed today that we can try to accelerate? Yes, that's exactly right. 
And I think all of this is a windup to answer your question, like how do we start Lumen and why? What's the background? I'd say around 2018, my worldview started to change where I had been very fixated on finding the next breakthrough thing, the next device and technology. And I think there's plenty of room for that. And I celebrate all the initiatives of all your listeners who are continuing to do that today. One of the most powerful forces in the universe is, I think even Einstein called it sort of like eighth wonder is just compounding. And I think you, know, you sort of see that financially, but you also see that in technology in the form of rights law, where you just keeping making more of something. And once you get the manufacturing scale going, you just get this relentless cost reduction. And I started to see that that was happening with a variety of technologies, most notably solar, batteries, with heat pumps to come. And I just saw a whole slate of technologies that continue to scale, continue to cost reduce. And that meant their unit economics relative to their competitive environment just kept getting better and better and better. Hopefully storage is the next one of those, right? Storage is the next one of those, and that's playing out right now at scale. But the deployment was sort of way behind the potential. And I think that was the sort of crux of the insight for me. And I created a program at X that's now called Tapestry. It's essentially modeling the global power grid and the distribution grid. And think of it like creating live Google Maps for the power grid. And the reason behind that was, wow, the utility grid was this incredible creation for 100 years ago. But flash forward to today, there are going to be all these new devices, electric vehicles, thermostats, heat pumps, distributed energy that's going to connect to the grid. And the utility operators have to allow that to happen. And in talking to them, they said, look, we don't really know what's going on on our grid. Sometimes we don't even know where the map of the poles and wires are, much less the line capacity or the loading. So we created this program using time series data, satellite imagery to essentially kind of try to work back from the outside, like what is actually happening? What is the real-time pulse and signature on the grid? And that led me to get all this data for entire cities of what is the electricity used for every building? And you know, just kind of like a sidebar analysis with a friend of mine was looking at this like, wait, there are all these commercial buildings that could make money now with solar, and only about 3 or 4% of them have done it. Why? Like, what is up here? So that was the inquiry that I couldn't let go of. And I'm happy to share kind of how we transitioned into creating Lumen with my co-founder, Dave Cohen, who I met through the MCJ podcast Slack forum when it was just getting going right before COVID in 2020. Oh, I love hearing that. Yeah, do it. Let's turn the corner into how Lumen got going. Fixated with this question, many commercial buildings, and there's 6 million in the US, they use roughly half the electricity. But relative to Starting with solar, while solar had sort of taken off in residential and become more productized, there were multiple public companies, sun runs of the world. And then utility scale had also started to scale. If you looked at commercial building, rooftop solar, it was this sector that, despite analyst reports that said, look, there's 150 gigawatts of economically viable potential, which is, I think, anecdotally confirmed anytime if you've taken off in an airport and looked out the window over LA or Atlanta or any big city, you see all these large commercial rooftops that are empty. And you say, why don't they have solar on their roof? And so fixated with that question, I actually originally thought, wow, if you could just model the buildings, figure out where it made most financial sense, maybe there's something there just to help ease the process. But through the MCJ Slack group, I met Dave. Dave studied computers very early in life, was very early at Stripe, was an engineer and then product leader there 
and then later had gone to a company called SnapDocs, where it automated a lot of mortgage processing, so had real estate exposure. And he really wanted to get in a climate. And so we, I think, both approached this with kind of an aspiration, but also a skepticism to say something is up. So we went to talk to many, many building owners. And what they told us again and again was either, look, if there's a way to get additional savings, additional net operating income, and I can go green, like, yeah, I'd be for that. But I'm doing my real estate thing. I'm haggling with my tenants or my brokers or my whatever. You know, I'm trying to sell my building. I'm focused on my core business. So I'm not going to look at this unless it's really easy. That was the signal we got from some people. And then there was a different cohort who said, oh, no, Peter and Dave, I looked at this. Like I tried hard. I get it. I have this huge empty roof. Why don't I put solar there? But every time I kind of felt like I got stung. It was like there were all these data complexities of just trying to answer the basic question, does this make sense for me and my building, was confounding and seemingly impossible for building owners to get that answer in a financially robust way that made sense for them. So they said, look, I tried for six months. I got consulting reports. My inbox is full of proposals, but I haven't gotten the answer that I'm looking for. So I'm going to move on. Let me ask a few questions about how the space works generally before we get into Lumen's solution. Today, typically, who pays for the energy footprint of a building? The building owner or the tenants in that building? So the answer is it depends. And it depends by asset type. So generally, there are what's called gross leases or net leases. So in most office buildings, the office building owner is also paying the electricity bill ultimately to the utility. So there's aligned incentives. In contrast, industrial buildings, which have the biggest roofs, there is this split incentive, as it's been called, where the building owner owns the building, but they don't pay the electricity bill. The tenant does. And the tenants can be, let's say, not always motivated to even just share the data around their electricity use. They see it as a business trade secret. Oh, interesting. So that has been a historically a very big challenge. Just even answer the question, does it make sense for this building is almost a black box question. So ultimately, these come down to how individual leases are structured. But in the aggregate, typically an industrial building, the industrial tenant is likely to be responsible for the power because how much power they use is essentially a trade secret to what their process is or how it works. Whereas in, in like an office building, it could get structured either way, but the kind of, and probably depends heavily by geo and by who the building property manager is. But in many cases, it ends up being the building owner taking responsibility for the building's energy usage. Is that what I'm hearing? That's correct. And then multifamily is a kind of third large category, which is somewhere between where you have the building owner always responsible for what's called common area. And then tenants pay their own bills. There's some cases where the building owner pays all the bills called master metered. But what I just spoke about, if you're a visual thinker, you can start to imagine this kind of cascade of web of like a decision tree or pathway of who pays the bills, what's the metering structure, what are the policies in place at that location, and all of that. There's sort of many different pathways to get to the answer, does solar and batteries and clean energy make sense at this particular property? And that's what we're really out to solve. And then let's take a different angle of understanding the space, which is once a solar project is put in place on the roof of said building, is it typical that the building itself is usually going to be the direct financial beneficiary of that project? Or is the building owner 
just selling that as another real estate thing and selling that power purchase agreement to some other project somewhere else in the world? I'd say there's a past and future answer to that. I think generally speaking, the past has been, it just becomes part of the building and then it becomes just like a, you know, if you get into the wonky world of real estate, each building has leases and permit rights and accesses, whether it be, you know, a right away. And so it just becomes this artifact of the kind of building ownership. So you build it into the financial modeling of that particular property and that property's energy usage. That's right. There's the specific financial answer you're thinking about, or I think you're asking around the before and after electricity use and expenses with some solar, some utility grid. But I think there's a different way to look at it. And this is actually the market is changing on this front, which is it is not merely a question of the electricity cost and benefit. That is where most people start, but there's increasingly the carbon liability. And that is the big change that is happening in this industry, along with many industries, where even if let's take your industrial case where the tenant pays the electricity bill and they're the beneficiary of any savings. Beneficiary of savings and presumably responsible for emissions from their building's industrial process. They are. But I think the big change that we are seeing is that commercial building owners, you say, well, what is their real motivation as a business? They're investment businesses, and so they want additional investors to grow their businesses for their next office fund seven or industrial fund four. And so their customers, if you will, are investors who are typically large pension funds or endowments or large financial institutions. And those entities, the great news, and I think a lot of climate world that is maybe not fully understood yet. It's like those entities are saying, no, no, where is your real decarbonization strategy? Like I saw your reports from the last few years and I saw the pie charts and I saw your 2040 or 2050 commit, but now I want to see a glide slope and I want to see you start working towards that. And so that is the big change where the building owners are seeing core to their business, making real progress on decarbonization matters to them. And so that's where we're really seeking to help unlock. And so the next question I was going to ask, we talked about where does the energy usage flow? But I guess related to what you just said, the next question I would ask is where does this sort of scope to emissions benefit? Once you have put a renewable project in place on your building, is it the building owner who's typically claiming this sort of scope to energy benefit? Are they enabling their tenants to claim a piece of it. Again, I assume it's all factored into how leases are structured and whatnot. But in many cases, these projects are put on the roof after a lease has already been negotiated. That's right. And I will say scope to emissions reporting and the nuances of grid emissions reporting are things that I will love to go deep and nerd out on. I will say, if people want to get excited about this, I will gladly go very deep on it. But I also say like, it gets pretty wonky into how do you measure the grid emissions? And you sort of get at that question first. And there's lots of legacy reporting infrastructure, which has been done on very coarse kind of annual averages that the EPA published. And it's three or four years old. And it's just these like fat finger numbers. And that was kind of the state of the art before. And I think flash forward to today, and part of what we do is enable people to have real time 24 by seven hourly emissions reporting for your building. So you can really get rigorous to say, what are the carbon emissions at this location, given what's happening on the grid before and after? And so those are the scope two emissions. 
To your question, the answer is it depends who they're apportioned to, really primarily based on the lease. But I'd say the third sort of sub answer is that there's the actual emissions reporting, but there's also increasingly, I would say, the asset value halo around hey, is this building going to be a carbon liability in 2030 when I try to go sell it? Because I think what we see happening is institutional investors see that carbon liability is increasing and it's increasingly getting real and being measured with SEC reporting looming underway. And so as people buying these assets are saying, when I want to sell it in 10 years, this thing's going to be a boat anchor for me if it doesn't have a decarbonization strategy. Hey everyone, I'm Yin, a partner at MCJ Collective, here to take a quick minute to tell you about our MCJ membership community, which was born out of a collective thirst for peer-to-peer learning and doing that goes beyond just listening to the podcast. We started in 2019 and have grown to thousands of members globally. Each week, we're inspired by people who join with different backgrounds and points of view. What we all share is a deep curiosity to learn and a bias to action around ways to accelerate solutions to climate change. Some awesome initiatives have come out of the community. A number of founding teams have met, several nonprofits have been established, and a bunch of hiring has been done. Many early-stage investments have been made, as well as ongoing events and programming, like monthly women in climate meetups, idea jam sessions for early-stage founders, climate book club, art workshops, and more. Whether you've been in the climate space for a while or just embarking on your journey, having a community to support you is important. If you want to learn more, head over to mcjcollective.com and click on the Members tab at the top. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the show. And I presume as well, in the interim, even before you're trying to sell it in 2030 or later, your tenants are going to move in and out, you're releasing it, and to the extent your building is a clean building, for lack of a better term, you presumably have a higher likelihood of finding strong tenants. That is absolutely directionally true, and there's actually a number of kind of market reports from groups like Jones Lang LaSalle, JLL, who's a a nationwide broker. And you see those where they say, look, green buildings with green leases trade at a higher premium. So it's interesting to see that data come out, but it's still sort of analytical. And people are like, well, I think so, like someone said so. But what's actually really funny is to see some of our customers that have industrial buildings. The building owner owns the building. The tenant is merely renting it. What has happened a few times is the tenant says, hey, I'm going to put solar on my building. And like, hey, owner, I'm going to do this now. And they're like, what? They're on their heels. And they're like, wait, I own the building. You can't do that. But I hear you're my customer and you want to do that now. So that's sort of kicking people into action too, is I need to have a strategy around this. And those are kind of these very consequential changes that are happening kind of in slow motion, but it's a big iceberg that's really moving and changing. Again, back to nuances and how different leases and different sectors work. In some of those cases, probably the tenants actually do bear the cost of building improvements, right? Like if they want to do it, they can do it, but they got to pay for it. That's right. And the large corporates like the Amazons of the world have said like, hey, we're going to own all this. We'll do it all. I think there's just a much wider swath of particularly industrial and commercial tenants who said, look, we have green objectives. We historically thought we couldn't do anything about it, but they're kind of taking the future into their own hands now. And really actively seeking a way where they don't own the building, but to still reduce their scope to emissions and have a sustainable footprint. And we just did a product announcement and right around Labor Day, it's called the Auto PPA, where we can remotely price every building and give every eligible building a pathway to click button, get clean energy. And we've done that specifically for industrial buildings where the tenant 
pays the electricity bill with the building owner, we found ways to sort of co-optimize for all of their interests, which happy to share more about. We'll definitely get into that. I have two more questions on the landscape side of things, because I think it'll be really helpful to understand some of your product announcements as we continue to click into what you do specifically. So we've talked about commercial real estate building owners. We've talked about commercial real estate tenants. It feels like the other, and there are probably many more, but the other two big actors that at least I see in this whole world are project developers in clean energy who are out like trying to sell clean energy projects to these building owners and or tenants. Then there's the financial partner who's helping to fund the creation of these clean energy projects. Historically, maybe more on the tax equity side and whatnot, but now even more broadly across funding clean energy projects. Are there other big actor categories that we should at least touch on quickly before we start to dive into Lumen's product? I mean, the last one I think that's increasingly important is regulators, and there are many. There are state and local laws. You know, New York, there's Local Law 97, which was a real pioneering measure to really create penalties for carbon emissions for buildings that weren't on a glide slope. But then I think the federal actor, you know, they got to mention the SEC, that is just having to say, hey, companies, you have to report is a pretty groundbreaking measure that is forcing people to pay attention, count it up. And then if they don't like what the scorecard says, then they're more motivated to take action. And I suppose thinking maybe more broadly about it, we probably overly generalize building owner because you have who's ever responsible for that specific address as the building manager. And then you have essentially the commercial real estate portfolio owner on top of that. And they clearly likely have competing agendas to some extent, I would guess. They can. You know, there are many species in the zoo, or we even use that term. There's just so there's a whole sort of ecosystem and a sort of set of wildlife. And I think what we aspire to do is be good at kind of back solving for where people are and what their particular motivations and desires are, and then providing them with a pathway to decarbonize in a way that makes financial sense for them. Okay, so with that whole landscape laid out in front of us, and we could probably spend another four hours trying to unpack it further, but where does Lumen, where do you focus your time and energy? Who are you directly selling to today? And who's directly using your product today for the most part? Sure. So what we do is we enable commercial real estate owners and tenants to profitably decarbonize their buildings. We do it across tens, hundreds, or thousands of buildings in parallel. And our customers are fairly large commercial real estate owners who have a national or even international footprint. These would be like Tishman Spire, Bridge Investment. Like When you see signs in front of big commercial property buildings, it's those types of groups, yes? That's exactly right. And those names you mentioned and, and others I can share about, if you sort of work back from what they have today, they tend to actually have buildings all across the country, which means if you want to put your energy nerd hat on. It's highly heterogeneous economics. Every utility is different. All the policies are different. And you mentioned the leases are different, right? Depending the leases on the are customer different. Type. Yeah. And they typically have different asset classes. So say Bridge Investment Group, who was one of our first customers, came to us with their office buildings and said, we have 82 office buildings around the country. We read the Wall Street Journal. We know solar makes sense. We just can't figure out how to go do this. And we tried for a year ourselves and got a project done. We, we want to scale this, but let's start with our office buildings. Lumen, can you help us? And it was, it was a funny moment for me as a kind of startup founder. I remember vividly being in a conference room. It was like COVID, hearing this conference room voice and the chairman and CEO were on the phone and said, okay, we want to do this with you. And we said, well, we don't even have logins to our product yet. Like we're still building this, but you know, we would love to, to help you scale this. And flash forward, 
We worked with them across their 82 office buildings. We found a way to unlock about $100 million of new value for those properties. And the logic of that is if you decrease the operating expenses, the way real estate is valued is if you have lower operating expenses, it is that building underlying real estate is worth more. And uh, it's called the cap rate effect. You can check it out. But so we work with them first in their office buildings and said, okay, this works. Let's go look at our multifamily portfolio of a few hundred properties. Let's look at our industrial properties. Let's look at our senior living. So I share that as an anecdote to say, we find our customers have multiple asset types to kind of come back to your question at the beginning. And I'd say we were led by our customers and we had no idea what we were getting into in that like multifamily, sure, we'll take that on buildings or buildings. And we realized how complex all the different metering types are, the billing types, the lease types. And so that's a lot of the infrastructure that we've since built out over the past year and a half. Have you picked a specific pathway and said, we're going to, for now, focus on this type of commercial property? What we do is we have a kind of sequence where we go deeper. Again, working back from customers, what we find is they say, look, I have a bunch of properties. Here's my 150 addresses. Just tell me where to start. And so whether it be industrial office, multifamily, senior living, different states, we've developed a way to essentially build a financial model and software, a CFO-ready investment-grade cash flow model that says, for every property, what is the internal rate of return of making an investment in storage or solar at this property, inclusive of all the factors that an investor would want to consider? And then we now give them a way to just get zero-cost financing through a power purchase agreement so they can make money without deploying their own capital, which we can get into. Definitely want to get into that because that leads me to a bunch of questions on how tax credits work for them and whatnot if they're not absorbing CapEx. But before we do, you said Bridge Investment Group came to you with 82 buildings. What had been, you don't have to give their specifics, but what typically is the process that these commercial property owners had been going through to try to understand where to do renewable projects before you were able to step in and provide a software solution? Yes. And this leads to a little bit of kind of like ideal customer profile, which we can talk about. And I'm, I'm sharing all of this. I hope it's of value to your listeners and other industries that people are working in where they're big, complex industries. They sort of have one name at the top, but it is actually many different branches. For us, the way that we've approached that is we've just said, look, we will sort of give you the model for all the buildings and then we'll figure out the ones that make sense. And then for the ones that do, we can run them through a marketplace and help you get bids and we'll help them reduce the soft costs as they deploy across their properties. But I think the question around the different asset types for them, it's really what they do today and what their historical pathway was. It has historically been consultants where it's one building at a time. And that is the typical motion. And it's made sense. It's been an energy audit. And what we found is that people in the olden days where it was fine to not really take action, but maybe just kind of do a report, it was okay if it took six or eight or 10 weeks and you'd get a four inch binder on your desk as the big report. But then like a policy would change or in California here where I am, PG&E's electricity rates went up 7 or 8% in the last year. That was not captured in that four inch binder that's sitting on someone's shelf. 
And so that's what our customers found was A, it was slow to do a bunch of consulting reports and B, it was not sort of live updating with a dynamic market. And they didn't necessarily start with a prioritized list of which buildings to begin analyzing first. That's correct. And even if a company endeavored to get all those reports, it still left them with, well, where do I start? How do I stack rank all these four inch binders, if you will? And that was a sort of challenging question because it really came down to sort of an economic question. And then I think where people also went was like, hey, this isn't so hard. Like, let's just build an Excel model. I have plenty of analysts. And so people have sent us a bunch of their Excel models. But what you find is that a true project finance model that companies use to go make these kind of investments are very detailed and deal with a lot of wonky details of investment tax credit treatment. The Inflation Reduction Act has these adders, which is great, but they're complicated. So there's just there's a lot of very specialist finance that goes into it that the kind of casual observer would miss. So you have to, in order to help these portfolio managers essentially understand the different buildings they have, on a per building basis, you need to understand the energy usage of that building, which I presume often means getting lots of different reports from lots of different tenants of the building somehow. You have to understand the physical makeup of the building. What's the roof space look like? What is the access to power that the building has? And then you need to understand the state and local and federal sort of criteria from a tax credit perspective and whatnot and how they might apply to that building to understand how tax credit benefits could kick in to flip IRRs on a given project. Are those the three biggies or are there others? It's those and more. And Cody, <laughs> I'd say all of those pieces go into the big blender and people just say, look, give me this smoothie. I want to be able to check that you did the math right, but I don't want to wade through all of the complexity and more that you just described, you know, property boundaries, insulation on the roof pitches. You know, you can sort of go, what are different labor rates? Is there prevailing wage required in this geography? So all those things come into play. But I think when Dave and I got started on this, I had people who were AI researcher friends who we said, what if we could forecast all this data to start? And they're like, it sounds cool, Peter and Dave, but I actually think that's too hard of a problem. I don't know, you'll get that far. And we got very lucky to, you know, building some work I did at X with National Labs, we found that there's really actually incredible repositories of supercomputer modeling of building energy use built up over in the last number of years. And we've gotten pretty good in the R&D setting to be able to forecast the electricity consumption and profile building. So we've since incorporated that as an initial forecast. And that's lets us give people a pretty good view to start without them needing to share any data with us. And so I think that's one of the things that makes Lumen unique is being able to provide building owners this first touch that is a pretty good view and helps them stack rank where to focus on a financial metric. Where do you get the initial data to help you build those models? It is a whole different set of data sources. There are real estate sources, there are electricity sources. You know, there are whole companies today that all they do is provide an API for scraping utility bills and giving that data. I say this company could not have existed probably eight or more years ago and even five years ago because some of the key ingredients, if you will, just were not available. But what we do is try to stitch them all together and turn them all into an answer for our customers. So you give people sort of a, call it, I'm making this up, 70 to 85% sort of accurate view of the world based on publicly or pseudo publicly available data, gets the building owner a chance to dive in and then prioritize which buildings to go with. And then on a per building basis, then you can 
basically go to work and get extremely high fidelity levels of data on that building to help them then actually put a plan and project together, go out, create an RFP, get bids in from project developers and actually begin to understand what a true end-to-end project would come together and look like and actually get the project complete through your platform, as I understand it. Is that true? That's exactly right. And I will just say on the data sources starting in the beginning, public data, we've developed a lot of data that we train our own models now with this continuous growing system. From a product philosophy, hey, if something exists, we do not want to go recreate it. There's so much complexity here to sort of just out to simplify. But yes, then we get to the place where people say, great, I'm confident in making these investments, or I can now get a power purchase agreement for zero capital deployed, and I can get savings across a variety of my buildings. And through Lumen, I have a consistent way to do tens or even hundreds of properties. And I think that's the real breakthrough because historically, you know, you go back in time, people had the consulting report. Well, then they go get a bid from a contractor and all the contracting complexity. It's a year of legal time on that. This is the auto PPA, auto power purchase agreement product that you've recently launched, which is the ability to actually, through your software platform, go solicit and analyze different power purchase agreement bids and then select one, essentially. That's exactly right. And in that product, we're sort of taking away part of the kind of thousand paper cuts of just trying to get to, how do I go get this done? How do I go from A to B? All the data complexities are taken away from the end customers just to say, here are all your buildings. Here are the ones where you can click buttons now and start to get bids to make money decarbonizing your buildings. And we show them exactly the savings in terms of emissions and also the new net operating income that they could enjoy by decarbonizing their buildings with solar and batteries. You mentioned a few times, zero upfront capital, $0 CapEx to do this. How does that play with all these tax credits that groups could take advantage of now? If there's no CapEx, you don't have a tax credit to offset, presumably. That's right. What we found is there are a number of companies who've said, wow, we really see this as a new asset class. And I think that's where Bridge Investment Group has been a pioneer and they've set up their own dedicated fund called Bridge Renewable Energy. And so they've been an amazing partner. But there are many others who've said, look, even if this is a good IRR, just for whatever reason, like I can't get company approval or, you know, if you get into real estate, think all the ownership, there's joint ventures and different partners. And so, yes, there are tax credits and some will, I think, sensibly take advantage of those. But we just see a much larger market where they would rather have someone else deal with the complexity of tax credits and being a specialist in energy infrastructure financing and just translating all of that into how can I save money and start to make progress on my green objectives. And then the different financing paths are also something you help the building owner understand. Like we've done a whole episode on commercial pace financing, for example, which I don't know if we want to spend time talking about that now, or people can just go into the archives and listen to that. But there's so many complex models that a building owner could pursue on how to actually finance this stuff. Pace financing, I guess, for folks who aren't familiar with it is essentially where you move the financing of that project away from the building itself and move it into the property taxes of the building. How in the world are you helping automate those decisions? That all sounds really complex. What we see we can do is if people want to look at all the options for all the buildings, they're usually more in the kind of education phase. So that's where go learn and we help people do that through content we provide and certainly walk them through that. But 
our mission is to help them make it easy to do something, just turn all that complexity into savings and a pathway. And so that's really what the auto PPA is designed to do. And I think increasingly what we're seeing is that people are overwhelmed with all the complexity, all the energy data complexity, policy complexity, financing complexity, and they have to go through a little bit of a journey to sort of see all that, taste it, and then say, oh, wow, like I want an easy button. On that note, my brain was starting to go exactly where you just said, if I want an easy button, not just an easy button on the financing, but as software more and more comes into helping commercial real estate owners manage their properties, just generally, not even just in the energy space, do you think that the whole ecosystem will become more efficient and will become more standardized? Or is this inefficiency and non-standardization a feature, not a bug of real estate? It's a very large and fragmented industry today. And on the one hand, you could say, well, I'm going to run the other direction. And many wise people have done that. I guess we looked at it as it is complex, but finite. And so it is really like it's a data problem and it's a systems and company structuring problem. So that's at least how we've thought about it. Real estate, if you look at, I don't know, kind of a Gartner matrix of like technology adoption, real estate is a laggard, you know, historically, but it is really changing. And so there are a variety of software tools, which for all the reasons you'd expect reveal like leasing data or occupancy sensors or things that might seem obvious, but those changes are making building owners say, wow, like software can really help us improve our operations of our business. Moving on in your product, it seems like once you've taken people all the way through and being able to analyze the different options and even select a project to finance their clean energy project through Lumen, then you go into management and maintenance, right? Like you have to ensure that the project is delivering once you get all the way through installation and procurement, which is a multi-year process, right? You get to the point where is this project actually delivering the electrons and the financial benefit that it claimed to do up front? Is that still something you play in from a product perspective? The third part of our product suite is called Shine. And so we're providing this start to finish platform to enable commercial real estate owners to decarbonize all the properties that they want to in a consistent way. What we found is the key piece that's been missing is that once you deploy on-site clean energy at a property, you then usually still have a residual utility bill. And so there's this financial reconciliation. We'll say like, well, wait, I signed this new contract A, but I have this old agreement B with my utility. Like, how do I add these up? And it sounds like kind of simple addition, but it can still just get annoying and complex. And so we've built a software capability to reconcile all of that based on actuals. And you know, a lot of our early engineering team came from Stripe. So we're, we're very familiar with payments and payments processing. And so, and I think that leads to our, our long-term aspiration is to be in a ongoing sort of payments and data relationship with all these buildings. Because as new technologies come along, geothermal is starting to ramp up for commercial buildings. I think really getting rid of gas and oil heating in buildings is going to be a next big piece to go crack, that it is ultimately still just a sort of math question about it comes back to the meter at the building and the configuration of the building and the policy environment of it. And we find it is ultimately a financial decision. And so what we seek to do is just be the hub that can be a trusted recommender to the building owners about what is going to be the best decision for them. 
Well, Peter, this has been super insightful for me. I feel like I've learned a ton. Hopefully people listening have to. And I know we're kind of coming up on an external obligation you have. And so I guess the last thing is you've announced recently, you guys raised a series A of financing a little bit ago. What are your big priorities at the moment? Feel free to share whatever you'd like about your series A. And then what are you looking to deploy that capital into from a growth and investment perspective into the company? Sure. Yeah, we did raise a Series A earlier this year, and we've been really fortunate to have an awesome group, investors and partners in Lower Carbon Capital and Ajax Capital and Designer Fund. And then we were also joined by some real estate groups. Nuveen is a very large commercial real estate holder and sort of has seen the challenges of decarbonizing their buildings portfolio-wide. And I think that's what really sparked their interest, as well as Bridge Investment Group through our work with them, I think saw the opportunity to invest on the company itself. So We've been delighted to complete that raise. And I think where we are is, and our promise to investors and the team was to really commercialize this auto PPA. And in talking with people who've been in spreadsheets for energy project finance, they're like, wow, that is a hard, gnarly problem. So we're really thrilled to be able to sort of now release that to customers. We just did that in early September. And so what we're doing now is just really getting the word out and making it more and more accessible. I think there's this continuous sort of two sides of what we do is have like deeply rigorous detail on being able to vet all the numbers and trust them with a very simple workflow that's as easy as possible to make the onboarding smooth. Well, Peter, I'm super grateful that you came on and not only shared what you're building at Lumen, but helped us understand the broader context of a very complex ecosystem that you and Lumen work within, what else should we have covered? Anything else I should have asked or topics that are important to make sure we all understand? I would just say to your listeners that at Lumen, we love decarbonizing buildings. And yet I would say just more broadly to the climate space, there's something here for everyone. Climate touches every part of the economy. So if you're starting to think about how might I get involved, how might I make a difference, there's software, there's hardware, it just there's every industry. So it's a tremendously exciting time, I think, to be part of the sort of evolving climate landscape. And anyone can reach out, reach me at our website and if you want to get in touch with me. So thank you. Super appreciate you, Peter. Thanks so much for joining. You bet. Thanks, Cody. Thanks again for joining us on the My Climate Journey podcast. At MCJ Collective, we're all about powering collective innovation for climate solutions by breaking down silos and unleashing problem-solving capacity. If you'd like to learn more about MCJ Collective, visit us at mcjcollective.com. And if you have a guest suggestion, let us know that via Twitter at mcjpod. For weekly climate op-eds, jobs, community events, and investment announcements from our MCJ Venture Funds, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website. Thanks, and see you next episode.